0: Well, I am glad to be with you here and to preach. It's been the first time I got to preach live in five weeks And I have been preparing for this. We had such a great series with at the movies How many of y'all enjoyed that? Come on the team did a fantastic job and our goal is to make sure that you feel a little closer to God and Are growing in your relationship with him and this series is going to be no different And so I'm really excited about this one There is a simple concept behind the series that I've been looking forward to, and that is um, we are all familiar with the manger scene. And so the manger scene has a few elements that have to be there in order for it to be a manger scene. We know Mary and Joseph have to be um, there, and uh, the shepherds came from a mountain nearby, and also the three kings came from a distance and afar to come be with him. But the manger scene is not a manger scene unless Jesus is at the center of it. And so there's a very simple statement, but very profound, that you need to hold on to all three weeks of this series. And it's this only Jesus in the center of the Nativity creates Christmas. Only Jesus. If you were to change this manger and put the shepherds there, hard-working shepherds, you don't create Christmas. And if you do the same thing with the wise men full of treasures, you don't create Christmas. If you exalt Mary and Joseph as a newlywed couple who's finally growing their family, uh, that does not create Christmas The only thing that creates an incarnate, miraculous, life-changing Christmas uh, story to tell and history piece is when Jesus is at the center of everything. So I started thinking a little bit, uh, uh, along with our team, what happens if the manger gets changered? Come on, I, I like to rhyme things, so I stretch every once in a while but what happens if we start messing with it and replace things and so each week we'll do that and this week I want to explore what happens when Jesus gets changed with the wise men now I only went with one of the three wise men because I'm wise enough to know I have dropped the other wise men and broken their hands off and super glued it back how many of y'all have done that too and so, we're just not gonna play around with all these porcelain figures up here. But one is good enough to get the message across because wise men were known for a few things. They were known from traveling from afar, a distance. They were known for being wise, and they were known for bearing costly gifts. The Bible says that the wise men came bearing costly gifts of gold, frankincense, And myrrh. And so, really, what happens when we accidentally, hey, Jesus is still a part of my manger scene, but he's on the periphery now because my treasure is in the middle of everything. And so let's explore this for a little bit, because the Bible says this, that wherever our treasure is, there our heart is. And if you could get a God viewpoint on the manger scene, looking down, it would really tell a story of what's at the center of our heart, because it would look like this, and if whatever's in the middle gets our heart. And so when Jesus stays in the center of it all, it creates... The miracle of Christmas, but what happens when we accidentally or subconsciously or unintentionally or maybe purposefully, we start exalting our treasure or our money above anything else? Sure, Jesus is still part of it, but he gets to be on the perimeter spectating what's happening. And to make it even clearer, come on, what happens when we exchange our money for the manger? And I know money makes people uptight, so when we chose to swap this out for a bunch of coins, we chose a value of ours. We chose diversity. Come on, look at that. They're they're every color, shape, and size up here. Come on. They're every socioeconomic background. I got pennies, we got nickels, and we got quarters. Somebody give an amen. Come on. Y'all gonna make it tough for me. Y'all gonna make it tough for me on this this Sunday. So the, the title of this message is, When Money Replaces the Manger. And so if that wasn't... A decent enough way to get you uh, uh, laughing already. It reminds me a little bit, this subject reminds me a little bit of my friends Boudreaux and (laughs) Thibodeau. My Cajun friends, Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they, they're two good boys from South Louisiana. And they said one day, we work so hard. We work so hard, Thibodeau. We need to go on a fishing trip, and we're going to go on one of them expensive ones, one of them expensive ones. So they, they, they left work, and they rented everything. They rented the rods, the reels. They, they, they rented the boat. They rented a, a cabin for four days. They spent a small fortune on this vacation and they go out there, and they just start fishing. And on the first day, Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they didn't catch anything. And then on the second day and the third day, they caught nothing, too. But on that fourth and final day, they went out to fish, and they caught one small flounder. They reeled that thing in. And Thibodeau got a little fed up, and he said to Boudreaux, You realize that this one lousy fish cost us $1,500? And Boudreaux replied, "Sure, Lord, good thing we didn't catch more than that. <laughs> Come on all right that's pretty good and so you might have to help your neighbor out do the the math wasn't really working for boudreaux very well but sometimes money can subconsciously take the place of the manger in our lives and no one intentionally does this. Most people do not. Most Christians do not, and most people don't realize that this has happened in their lives. In fact, we could n- not really realize that we've done this, but honestly, money never leaves a lot of our minds, does it? We stress about it. We worry about it. Do we have enough of it? Do we spend enough? Do we save enough? Do we give enough? Do we, and, and money's on our mind, and we th- start thinking things like, I'm not over-reliant on money I just talk about money a lot. Or we think, I'm not materialistic, I just like quality, right? Or or maybe we say, I'm not obsessed with money, I just want to be financially stable, which is... To, to, to constantly be thinking How do I keep money secure in my life And how do I make sure That there's enough money in my life But I wrote a little bit of some lyrical Rhymes that I want to drop on you today To help you remember what God Is trying to do because I'm sorry not what God is trying to do What the enemy is trying to do because Satan tries to turn your nativity scene Into a chess scheme Swapping a king for a queen Even better a pawn if he's keen Do you know what I mean? Come on Oh, come on, look. Where's my mic so I can just drop it somewhere? Because Satan is trying to play chess with your nativity scene. He's over here thinking, I don't care if you keep Jesus as a part of your life, as long as I can get him out of the center. So if I can make you overindulge your thoughts on your money, cause you to stress about it, cause you to think about it more often, cause you to worship it, cause you to idolize it, cause you to centralize around it, Well, he has just exchanged a king for a queen, and he's scheming to keep Jesus being the main thing out of the center of our nativity scene. Come on. I've got these eans rhyming, and so we're going to have a good day today. Tell your neighbor it's going to be a good day. So let's take a temporary diversion from three kings to talk about Israel's first king to see if we learn anything. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop. I will stop. 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15 teaches us a little of something that we need to see in ourselves and see what is possible in the first king of Israel. It says, one day the prophet Samuel said to Saul, the first king, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as the king of his people. Now, I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek, Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Someone say completely. Does anybody here think there's room for interpretation in the word completely? The word completely means entirely. If I were to say, hey, guys, we need a little bit of help, we need to completely move all of the chairs out of this room into a closet to prepare for an event afterward, do you think any of you should approach me and go, how many you want to leave behind? <laughs> because completely means Everybody. completely. <laughs> and so he knows what God's asking of him, completely destroy In case you don't know, and in case your skull's a little thick, oh, King Saul, let me list it out. Man, women, babies, children, sheep, cattle, goats, everything. So let's see how Saul obeys. Verse 7. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites. Check. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king. Hold on a second. Capturing is not completely destroying, is it? Maybe it's close enough that I could make God think it's the same thing, but you and I both know it's not the same thing. It says he captured Agag, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept, another verb that doesn't belong after this command, the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. So God's saying, completely destroy, and Saul is saying, I'll destroy everything that's of little value. If it's of little value, I'll do it. If it's of high value, well, then that's debatable. We'll we'll have a conversation about these things, and it says that he kept everything that appealed to them. Then they destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality, And then the Lord said to Samuel, with that kind of heart, I am sorry I ever made Saul king. I will remove the throne from him because of his disobedience. Here's five quick takeaways for today that are relevant to today that I don't have time to preach, so I would encourage you to take out your phone and take a picture of and study it when you study 1 Samuel 15 this week. But here's five things that we could learn from this. Number one, disloyalty is displeasing to God. Disloyalty is displeasing to God. Secondly, it's way too easy to slip from obedience to disobedience. I'm not sure if King Saul knew he was doing it or as the value kept going higher, he slipped into it uh, uh, in his mind. Number three, some disobedience is masked in pride because in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul started saying, I kept the more valuable things because I thought I would sacrifice them to God. And oh, how pleasing God would be and how high he would be worshipped if I would do with it what he didn't ask me to do in order to honor him. And sometimes we do this with our obedience. We try to wiggle our way out of just yes or no. We started trying to do something disobedient, But freshen it up. It's like when you had a project in school, and you forgot to do it, and you tried to work your way through, like trying to convince the teacher you did the project, and everybody else is going, I know what you're doing. It's two letters. Don't do that with your obedience. Don't do that with your obedience, because a lot of times we try to mask it with pride and go, look at the cool idea I had. I would honor God by dishonoring God, and God would love it. Here's the fourth one. Other disobedience is masked in fear. If we're being honest, we're just going, just in case God doesn't show up, just in case there's not enough, just in case I need a little bit more, and it's disobedient. But here's the fifth one I want to unpack. His obedience was conditional to the size of his request. His disobedience was conditional to the size of God's request. In just a moment, I'm going to show you on my iPad here. I want to draw a little illustration, and it should be appearing right now on the screen. You got it? Awesome. Let's check that we got this. Awesome. We are in good shape. Okay, so I want to show you something that I see in this uh, uh, scripture, and that God oftentimes asks things of us or has requests of us. And it ranges from low things to high things. And so um, I want to measure that against our obedience to what he asks of us, okay? And so my script, when I'm going fast, that says obedience, okay? Come on. (laughs) Now, uh, where we should be on this topic is that no matter what God asks of me, I will be obedient. It doesn't matter if he asks something small of me or if he asks something large of me. This is where we should be. But honestly, where most of us are looks a little bit different. Our obedience looks a lot more like this. And what we are doing is this is where we really are. Because as long as God asks for something small, hey, would you give a dollar to the person on the corner? No problem, here's a dollar, that's awesome. Would you empty your bank account to the person on the corner? Heck no, I will not do that, right? Because it's, it's, it's as if the more God asks of us, the less obedient we find ourselves. Now, let me point it to you this way, because I want to help you today. How high of a request can God make of you before your obedience will turn into disobedience? Because whatever that number is, God knows is the highest he can ask of you safely, and he can bless you up until that point. But he is also aware That $1 more than that will turn into disobedience, which will no longer command a blessing on your life. And so our God is a good God, a good Father, knowing just how much I can bless you before it will no longer bless you because you're no longer walking in obedience to me. It's kind of like if you have a child that you are rearing and they're getting to a teenage year, you know if I can trust you behind that car wheel or not. And if I cannot trust you behind that car wheel, I would actually be cursing you to give you more responsibility than I would be protecting you, and therefore I can bless you This much and no further because it would now no longer be a blessing. Are you tracking with me? Is this helping anybody today? Because what I want to help you get to today is if we could get to here or here or even here where God knows I can trust them no matter what I ask, then guess what? He knows I can bless them this much in their life and it will never come back to them as a curse. Come on. That is good news from a good God who wants to bless you today. And let me be very clear. Blessing does not mean financial downfall. It can mean that. Scripture does suggest that it means that, but I'm not suggesting you're going to line up with a bins tomorrow or a retirement inheritance that comes your way just because of that. I know that our God is a God of mysterious ways. He does amazing things, and I don't know if that blessing comes relationally, occupationally, in your health or financially or a myriad of different ways. All I know is that Scripture is clear. With the same measure you give to God, God will pour it back into your lap. Press down, shaking together, and running over. Can I get an amen up in here? I hope this helps somebody today as I jump back to my notes. So let's keep this principle in mind that the answer to how much we will be obedient to God limits the amount God can bless us as we start talking about how to become a changer of our misplaced manger if this is going on in our life how do we change it back and there's three ways i want to share with you today um we're getting back to the wise men here and by the way the wise men were considered wise because they were willing to use their highly high riches and their distance and their relationship and their influence to richly bless the king of kings with their resources they used their provisions to honor and obey the king And before I go any further, I should say this. The church is in a very healthy spot financially. Uh, Some people think that when a pastor talks about finances, things must be getting pretty tight. Can I share with you that we together, our giving has exceeded the budget our board has set for the fourth year in a row. Come on. We are not in a place that we are desperate or needing this. I have no ill motive for the church or for us. I want to see you get blessed. I want to see your obedience get stretched because God will show up in miracles in ways you've never seen before. Other things that pastors get attacked up when they talk about money is you talk about it all the time. It's been 14 months since I've taught exclusively on money and generosity. So I've earned the right to keep a well-balanced diet for you today in this topic. And by the way, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer and faith combined in all of scripture. In other words, there's a lot of people unintentionally swapping their manger scene for money to make sure that they're just uh, doing things uh, the way that they want to does that make sense so here's three ways to become a changer of your misplaced manger number one realize whose it is realize whose it all is the money the assets, the, the the equipment, the stuff, the toys, realize whose it all is. James 1:17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. And in my Bible, I would underline, from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. The the three kings traveled so far. With such costly provisions. Why? Because they knew who he was. And when we know who he is, the owner. Of it all. The creator of life itself, the creator of me, was there when I was knit together in my mother's womb, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and because I am very aware of who he is, what is a little bit of coin in relationship to a Messiah that will change my destiny and alter the course of humanity forevermore? Can I get an amen? amen. The wise men were willing to travel from afar because they knew who he was we would do wise to realize whose it all is when it comes to any of our assets any of our money any of the stuff that we get to steward in fact it's easier to manage money when you realize who is the owner if if i were to walk up into this place today and go man out of the generosity of my heart I I went into my kitchen, and I created 10 cupcakes, and John, I see you right there, man. I bet You got a few kids and your wife, and so I bet you would be blessed by 10 cupcakes. I want to give you something you haven't asked for. I want to hook you up today, but oh my goodness, hold up. I'm just now seeing Matt over here. Could I get one of them back so that I could hook up someone else that I see in need today? Could I get one of them back? How would we feel about John if John says, No, they're my cupcakes. My cupcakes. Like Nemo, mine, 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 mine. I know where all the parents are at right now because you're just like, Nemo and Dory are found. Turn it off. Okay, anyway, so. So that is what. Generosity looks like. That is what tithing looks like, that God gave 10 cupcakes out of the kindness of his heart. And to return one is really not that sacrificial of something for me to do, um, because um, God is the giver of it all, and we are just stewards of the 10 cupcakes. Number two, here's the second way to change your manger, is to start tithing. The word tithe means tenth. Um, The Bible teaches that we should bring the first tenth of all that God has given us into the storehouses. Now, uh, because the ten cupcakes were mine to begin with, and I give them to John, if John gives me one back, is he giving me something, or is he just returning what was mine in the first place? We really shouldn't call the offering a time of giving As much as we should call the offering a time of returning. Because it was all his in the first place. He has been so very generous to me. And the least I could do when he hooks me up with 10 cupcakes is to give one back because I'm about to munch down on nine. And by the way, nine is better than 10 in heavenly math because last I checked, he can turn five loaves and two fish to feeding 3,000. But in our minds, we start going, I got to hold on to nine cupcakes. I got to hold on to the 10th one to feed 3,000. I'll figure it out with my mind. No, you won't. Your money won't figure it out and your mind won't figure it out. But miraculously... It can get figured out. Come on, I don't have time to preach that message today. Listen, we got to trust God. And, and so uh, you should do some homework this week reading Matthew chapter 25 with the parable of the talents. But I don't have time to read it all today to you. But let me give you the synopsis of it. The master of all the resources goes away and he takes three men to give three different sums of his kingdom as he goes away. And he gives to one Five talents. He gives to another two talents. He gives to another one talent. He gives all three the instructions. I am going away for a while. I'm giving you my resources. Use these to bless the kingdom of God. I won't tell you when I'm coming back, but I will come for an accountability report. The Bible says he left, and the one with five talents got to work, turned it into ten The one with two talents got to work, turned it into four. The one with one talent was scared of the master, hid it in a ground, and saved it when the master returned. The Bible says three things that I think are takeaways for today. Number one, he says this. He teaches that good stewardship begins with good belief about a good master. I need to say this again. Good stewardship starts with you and I, with a good belief in a good master the first two talent holders believed our God is good And oh my goodness, he was so generous hooking me up with five talents I don't deserve. Two talents of his own money. The least I could do is try to put it to work and see what we could do of this because I have a good master who believes good things for us. And we've got to believe that too. It was the final person who thought you are a shrewd, hard master gaining money you didn't earn. He had a poor concept about the God and the giver of it all. And because of it, it brought a curse on his life. We gotta start with the understanding that we have a good belief in a good master. Secondly, we should learn this, that this third steward should have known, don't ever be caught holding God's original investment. I'm gonna hook you up with 10 cupcakes. Don't ever be caught holding the original investment. The final guy said, I thought you were shrewd and you were ill and you were mean, so I hid it and here it is again. Now, what we learn from this is that God doesn't expect you to double everything. I think doubling is awesome, but Jesus said this, you could have thrown it into the bank and earned a little bit of interest, and that would have been pleasing to me, but instead you hid it and did nothing thinking ill things of me. Now, how many of y'all got a little bit of money in a bank account making what kind of rate right now? 0.0005% interest right now. Come on. Somebody help a savings account up in here. In other words, Jesus is saying, it could have been a marginal increase. I would have been pleased by 0.0005% increase had you had a good belief in me but instead, you thought I was ill. And I could have used you to double it. Come on, 200% is way better than .00005%. But here's what we need to no, know. Our good God is not unhappy with even interest. In other words, we got to have the belief that God's, we shouldn't be holding his original investment. And finally, God's not trying to get something from you. God is trying to get something to you. The whole test was if you're good and fruitful with this, I'm going to hook you up with more. There's more where it came from. Because pull the chart back out, I now know you will be obedient with this much, so I bet I could trust you with this much. Go and do what God has told you to do. Come on. Somebody start getting some revelation that God wants to hook you up. Now, I have a pastor friend who talks about tithing, and he once said it like this, that you wouldn't eat at a restaurant and leave without paying Yet many Christians are spiritually fed every Sunday and they leave without paying. Ouch. He said, while on the restaurant theme, many Christians like to divide their 10% around to many different things. But if you decide to go to Longhorn Steakhouse today and order a steak... You would be unwise to leave that table, drive down to Texas Roadhouse, and give of your paycheck and pay the bill over there. Because, in other words, the Bible teaches you should give where you're fed. Malachi 3:10 says, the tithe is mine. That's what God says. It's, it's for my house. And last time I checked, Jesus crucified and put all of the hope in the church which is his vessel for his plan a and there is no plan b so he says in malachi 3 verse 10 bring all someone say all bring all the tenth the tithe into the storehouse not multiple storehouses into the storehouse so there may be enough food in someone say these last two words with me my house God is looking to provide for his plan A, and he wants to test us on our obedience. How far can we go? Because the more you can, the more I can bless you in your life. This is not prosperity gospel. This is simple obedience to what God teaches us to do. In fact, some people say, well, Jesus didn't teach on tithing. New Testament didn't teach on tithing. How do we know this? Let me explain it like this. Jesus was born a Jew. Most of us in here were born Americans. We have an American frame of mind. If you talk about freedom, it it sounds completely different than someone who talks about freedom in Mongolia or, 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 or you name another country. In the same way, Jesus was born Jewish. Some people mixed him up as a rabbi. So when he's talking, he's talking from a Jewish frame of mind. Now, he knows how to expand on Judaism by going, hey, the Sabbath... The Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. So he knows how to alter Judaism. He also knows how to expand Judaism. You have once said, committing adultery is sin. But I say, if you've even looked with lust upon another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. He said to some, do not murder. You say, I haven't done that. But if you've even called someone a stupid idiot, you've committed murder in your heart. You're like, oh, dang, he's expanding on Judaism, right? So don't you think if Jesus wanted to eradicate tithing, he would have taken the moment to say, I'm altering the pattern that I was born into. So his big chance was Matthew chapter 23, when he talks to some Pharisees and he says, Hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. you got mint. You're bringing 10% of your mint leaves up in here. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Here's his big moment to alter it or expand it or eradicate it. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the other things as well. So in his moment to change it, he chose not to. In his moment to eradicate it, he chose to reinforce it. Why? So that there may be food in my house that no soul goes hungry in the direct location and proximity of the house of God. By the way, it's also called the house of bread. So there may be bread in my house for everybody. So fortunately, many of us already know this. A 2017 Lifeway survey said 83% of believers believe in tithing. 83%. So for those of you who do, I just want to thank you right now. Come on, give it up for someone because none of this would be possible in our reach and salvations and 12 baptisms last week. None of it is possible without it. For those of you who know that it's right but you haven't started yet, can I challenge you today to commit to being obedient to God and and, and begin that today. The survey even said that many people want to but forget to. So here's a pro tip of somebody who's been tithing over 20 years of every uh, bit of my income. We have recurring giving you can set up online. Just go to the website, liftsbwycom give, and set up recurring. Because everything else that's important to you, like your electricity, you set on an automatic payment so that you don't just show up one day and go, oh, crap. <laughs> that was important to me, and I forgot how important it was. Most of us have our Netflix subscription. Set to do not forget so it never gets turned off. How much more so is honoring the king of kings and the one who is the author of life? And so that's a pro tip that helps some. I had somebody in my small group said, I want to, but I forget to. And so maybe you could do that. I want to show you a quick testimony of somebody in our church who blessed me about three weeks ago in the hallway when he said something to me. And I said, can we record that in a testimony? Check this out.
1: Imagine, just imagine that you're part of a church that is committed to the biblical mandate of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world, starting here in Salisbury. You're part of a church that understands how to communicate God's word in a culturally relevant yet uncompromising way. You're part of a church that has a profound vision for baptizing and discipling those who've begun their journey with Jesus, that passionately pursues the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit a church that appreciates and harnesses the impact of effectual, fervent prayer, that affirms and honors the role of women in ministry. You're a part of a church that embraces God's own heart of having a congregation that reflects without prejudice heaven's reality of worshipers from earth's diversity of races, languages, and nations, that sees corporate worship as an opportunity to honor the Father, lift up the Son, and give room for the spontaneous working of the Holy Spirit. Imagine being part of a church that practices a high standard of financial integrity and administrative accountability, provides affirmation, encouragement, and training for those who help carry the vision. Just imagine. At the end of the worship experience a few Sundays ago, an awareness filled my heart and mind. I am part of a church that does all this. This is LIFT. In 1972, at the age of 16, I was found by Jesus during the Jesus Revolution. This salvation journey began with an exuberant faith in Jesus Christ, water baptism, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and tithing. Yes, tithing. I've tithed, given 10% of my gross income, for over 52 years to the church. It's a part of my faith walk that I do out of obedience and from a deep conviction that all that I have comes from Him and that He is more than worthy of my first fruits. That Sunday, when I was thinking about how blessed I am to be part of LIFT, the weekly opportunity to worship the Lord with our offerings was given. And I have to say, an overwhelming sense of joy flooded me as I filled in my tithe information in the Church Center app and clicked Give Now. It is such an honor and, quite honestly, a deep relief to be part of. A church and contribute to a church that has a leadership doing all it possibly can to facilitate our prayers to the Heavenly Father your kingdom come your will be done here on earth here in Salisbury just like it's done in heaven it's been a long time since I've experienced so much joy worshiping with him and giving I feel so blessed to know that my tithe his money is being used in a way that pleases his heart not only to help keep the lights on and the staff financially resourced, but also that has a direct impact on souls who are responding to the gospel at Lyft, on the spiritual atmosphere in the heavenlies over Salisbury, an impact on the maturation of the believers who call Lyft their home, and on so much more that God is doing in and through the Lyft family.
0: Come on, can we give it up for John? And also everybody else. Who is of the same exact nature and heart, and he just so touched me when he shared that it was his joy to give, and he's never been happier to give of his tithes than here. And I I was just so moved by that, and so I'm thankful, and I wanted to share that. Here's the third way to change your manger as we close today, and that is to be generous. Some people believe because they gave 10% that they were generous, but giving 10% is called obedience, generosity starts at 10.01% according to the Bible, generosity starts at 10.01%. And by the way, this can and should be given anywhere. You might be motivated to give above and beyond your tithes to something we're doing in the legacy offering, or you might be uh, inspired to buy somebody's meal today, or, 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 or give somebody a gift card, or bless somebody at your workplace, or take care of somebody you might run into on the streets, or however you might be moved. You should listen to the Holy Spirit and respond in a generous kind of way. And this is given from time to time. There's no mandate or demand by God on how often or how much. This is just an above and beyond, as the Spirit leaves, we give. Write this down. What God can give through you, He'll give to you. What God can give through you, He'll give to you, and I want you and I to be the types of vessels that says, God, I'm not gonna be sticky with anything you give to me. I want to be, I want to be a good steward, taking care of my family, taking care of my responsibilities. But first and foremost comes your house, your values, then our needs, and we are also going to set aside some sort of margin that we can give as the Holy Spirit leads. And so that's what our legacy offering is about. Once a year, we do an le- legacy offering. it happens next week. I've shared over the last four or five weeks what we'll be giving to. Here's the last of the five legacy lanes what you're giving next week will go to when we celebrate in giving in the legacy offering next week. Check out two churches we are gonna help plant in America. Watch this.
2: Before my grandmother passed in 2022, she would fervently pray that the Lord would bring me and my family home. After spending 15 years in various roles at other organizations outside of our home city, my grandmother's request was answered in September 2021. While I was in my hotel room in Chicago, I heard the audible voice of God say you have never asked me what my will was for your life, dear. You have always considered the opinions of others over the voice of your father. I have called you and your wife to plant a church. From that point on, the Lord began ministering to me about the call to plant promise city church this recent encounter with god rekindled my memories of past occasions when i heard god speak to me hopelessness has plagued not only our city but the world so many people suffer from depression anxiety and have lost hope and struggle to feel the love of god due to their life experiences promise city church exists for all people and for all communities to experience the love of god in everything we do revealing the heart of god to every person we encounter
1: Hey Lift Church, we're Derek and Ashley Freymeyer and we are planting a new life-giving church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our dream for Legacy Church is that it will be a place that no matter your background, you can create a new legacy in Christ. Yeah, we want to be a community of people that are creating a new legacy by authentic relationships with God and people. And it's because of your generosity, Live Church, that we get to do that. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being people who are interested in seeing the kingdom of God grow, not only in your city, but throughout the United States and throughout the world. Thank you so much.
0: Come on! Two new churches are going to be launched in America. Do in part. To our generosity, the other five lanes, a QR code is coming up to give you the whole portfolio of what we're giving to. So, if you'd like to see that, we put together a website for you to see what we are going to be given to, to uh, next week. But uh, Pastor Derek and Pastor Derek and their and, and their wives, we're going to be sewing into. Pastor Derek is in Salisbury, North Carolina, along with his wife Rashonda, and then also Pastor Derek is someone I met at a pastors' retreat. And his wife, Ashley, are launching in South Indianapolis. We've already sown into a church in North Indianapolis. Come on, we're going to see all of Indianapolis get saved after both of these uh, get planted. But that's a part of what we're giving to. And so if you're so motivated to give and be generous above your tithes next week, we wanted you to know what it goes to. But I want to pray for you today. Father, I notice sometimes when we talk about money, it can be uptight. We can be nervous about things, but I do know this about you, that you don't desire to bring a spirit of condemnation. Father, you desire, sometimes you bring conviction where we say, hey, we could do better. And Father, in any area where you're convicting us, let us respond, and I thank you for the grace and mercy over our lives as we do this. Father, I'm most excited about the fact that I know your people are going to step out into greater levels of obedience to you. And as you do, your word says, we could test you on this. And when it happens, Father, you're going to pour out a blessing on their lives. You're going to rebuke the devourer. You're going to bless their households. And it's all going to be to reach more and more people and build the kingdom of God big, the kingdom of hell shrink it we pray all these things and while everyone's still got their head bowed and we're praying with every head bowed, every eye closed if you're in this place and you've heard how generous our God is, I first want you to know that he's more generous than you think he was asked how obedient will you be to save all humanity and the highest of high asks the highest of high request was will you give your one and only treasured son There is no higher value. Will you give him in exchange for you and I having the chance to come home to him and have our sins removed? And he, God, said yes. So today, if you're in this place and you know you're far from God, or you got some sin in your life that is separating you from him, today is the day that you let the price of Jesus' blood pay for it today, and you be set free. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to call you down or embarrass you, but I don't want you to be embarrassed to have a moment where you just raise your hand and say, today, I repent of my sins and I give my life to Christ. If that's you, just throw your hand up in the air with the people I already see their hands up. Yes, yes, yes. Hands up front, hands in the back, hands in the back in the middle hands everywhere if that's you too don't wait you might have said I don't know I don't want to be the only one but right now you feel like the Lord's moving on your heart and you say me too thank you thank you come on everyone who lifted their hands I want you to pray this prayer along with all of our church out loud we're going to pray say Jesus I give you my life I'm so sorry for my sin and falling short of your standard and I confess it to you now Jesus, you're the son of God. And when you died on that cross, you were an innocent man dying to set my guilty soul free. I receive freedom today. I get to start all over today because you've been good, Jesus. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said amen and amen. Come on and celebrate loud.